0: good morning northwood i hope you're doing well this morning it's good to see you glad that you decided to come today and uh begin this series with us this will be a five-week series that will deal with the words that jesus spoke on the cross and i believe that it's very very important for us to hear what jesus said when he was hanging on the cross i believe it'll be a real impactful time for you if you'll really zero in on it. Thing about church, and Pastor Jordan alluded to it, is that you must come with expectation to receive something from God's Spirit. And when you come and you expect to receive something, you always do. So I wanna encourage you to open up your heart and to interact with what is going on here. I am not a public speaker and giving you a speech. I leave that up to the president and the politicians. I've come to bring a life-giving word to you that will impact you in such a way that you will be changed more into the image of Jesus than when you walked in the door. So let's just pray and let's believe the Lord that our hearts are going to be opened up, that our minds will be opened up, and that we'll receive something from the Spirit of God today. You ready to do that? You ready to get on the bus with us? Come on, Father, we love you, we thank you. Lord, we are worshiping you and and honoring your presence in this room. We thank you that you've put your presence in earthen vessels like us, that we once was lost but now we're found and we thank you, Lord God, that your mercy extended to us, even to our generation. We pray today that our eyes and ears, our hearts would be open, and that God, you would give revelation to us that we might be changed in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today we're sharing with you about what happened to Jesus on the cross. The cross is for everybody, and we're going to pick up the narrative in Matthew chapter 27, this will be five weeks, we'll end it with Easter Sunday, uh, which is going to be a big day. Easter is a big day. A lot of people who don't normally come to church, come to church on Easter Sunday. A lot of your friends, a lot of your relatives will come. If you will just call them up and invite them, you will be astonished at how many hundreds of people will take your invitation and come and sit underneath the preaching of the word and be changed. But in Matthew, chapter 27, verse 35, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It was very significant that they did that. It was mocking in one sense. The Roman government saying, this is your king, and to let you know that you will stay underneath Roman domination, this is what we do to kings who rise up against us. It was also mocking to the Jewish leaders who are the ones who really crucified Jesus and saying, this is your king, not much of a king. And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him. They wagged their heads and said, "'You who, could, who would destroy the temple "'and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, "'if you are the Son of God.'" Sounds like something the devil said in Genesis. Sounds like something the devil said to Jesus in Matthew 4. Come down from the cross. If you're the Son of God, come down, show yourself, do a miracle. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself, he is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, right now come down, and we will believe in him. If you'll just do a sign, we'll believe in you. He trusts in God, four words I want you to remember. Let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. They took Jesus out of a garden while he was praying. They chained him up, ropes, chains, drug him away to a kangaroo court, and then they derided him. They mocked him. They lied about him. They beat him. They spit on him. They pulled the beard out of his face. they put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a purple robe on him. They beat him with a cat of nine tails till he was near death. And then they walked him through the streets of Jerusalem outside of the city wall up a small hill called Golgotha. And then they laid him down on a piece of wood and they nailed him to that piece of wood and hung him on a cross. He never said a word. Isaiah said he was like a sheep led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. He fulfilled the Old Testament scapegoat sin offering taken outside of the camp and killed for the sins of people. My sins put Jesus on the cross. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. We are guilty. Every action But yet Jesus took it all. And they were right when they said he trusts in God because that's exactly who he trusted in. The word trust means to convince, to be absolutely convinced, to rely on with an inward certainty, to be full of confidence or complete trust. I mean, it's like all or nothing. It's what Jesus requires, it's all or nothing, folks. It's the real thing or it's fake. Trust in God. You know that it's easy to trust in God when things are bright and the day is great. I can do good on a happy day. It, it, it's, it's different to trust him when life goes dark. It's one thing to, to live in the day of prosperity. It's another to live in the day of adversity. The fundamental question is this, is, is do you really trust God? Do we really trust God? The preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14 said, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. All through history, man has been tempted to distrust God. All through history, we see it completely. But whether it's light or whether it's darkness, We must trust God. Continuing in the 27th chapter. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. Broad daylight became darkness. A miraculous thing, a supernatural thing And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lame sabbatani. And that meant, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first phrase we want to talk about that Jesus cried from the cross is, my God, my God, Why? Have you forsaken me? Up to this point, Jesus had never complained about men at their worst. Up to this point, Jesus always spoke of his father, his daddy. At 12 years of age, he's in the temple. They asked, what are you doing? He said, didn't you know I was about my father's business? He told his disciples over and over, those who followed him, my father's will is to do this. My meat is to do the will of my father. My father, my father, my daddy. But yet now, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say daddy, father. He says my God. Everything changes now. Now it's God dealing with the sins of man and the redemption of man on the cross because God turned his back on Jesus. Because a holy righteous God cannot look upon sin. It's a stretch for us to understand true perfected holiness. We've been tainted with sin. It's powerful. Pure holiness is so powerful that if you look at it, you die. My God, my God, why? The question is why? The question is always why? I'm not sure I fully understand God turning his back on Jesus. Seems impossible. But why? Why? When, when, when life goes dark, we usually ask why. We do. We, why the miscarriage? Why the, the injustice? Why the rape? Why the incest? Why the addictions? Why the abortions? Why the abuse of children? Why divorce? Why? Why? Why, did, why is this happening? We ask why more than we imagine. point is that we must must understand even when we don't understand. We must understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12 gives us the reason why and it's probably because we don't see things completely clear. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face one day we will be face to face with Jesus. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So there is coming a place when we are face to face with God where we will know much more than we know now, but now we see through like a, a smoked glass. Sometimes we just, we just can't seem to focus 100% to fully understand every aspect of what's going on. It's sort of like this, this little illustration I want to share with you. Like if, if I hold up this little word right here, what, what do you see? Well, some people see nowhere. God is nowhere to be found. God is nowhere around me. I can't seem to focus in on it, but then others would see now here. Now God is here. He is now here. It's amazing how you look at things will determine how you respond to things and how you live your life. Isaiah 55 verse eight, the prophet new man quite well and the Holy Spirit knows this even better. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, declares God, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, than your thoughts. God's on a high plane, folks. He's looking down on a lot of things and I just feel like we spend so much of our time trying to make this life so good, so perfect. It's infiltrated every fiber of our beings and of our government and of our existence is to make everything perfect. We can't even have a child fall down and skin a knee any longer. Can't have kids play at recess any longer. We're trying to make things perfect. We're trying to create the Garden of Eden without the God of Eden. It'll never work, will never ever come to pass. We live in a broken world, it's got a lot of problems and I believe if man could have solved it, they probably would have already done it. Men are not fixing what's broke in the world Because man is broken. So we've got to look at God. I want to just share three things with you for you to remember when you don't understand. If you'll get these three things, if you'll really not just hear them, but adhere to them. If you'll get it, and I mean like you got it, you know what I'm saying? And we preach fairly simple here. Some people want deep things and can't even love their wife right. Number one, you ready? These three things that I'm getting ready to tell you, if we'll we'll really get them, our life will change. Number one, God is good. I know you're looking for something fantastic. But that is fantastic. Jesus himself in Mark ten eighteen said, no one is good except God alone. No one is good, just God. God is good. God is good when everything else is bad. God is good when there is prejudice. God is good when there's racism. And by the way, Racism is a two-way street, or it may be a six-lane freeway. People are racist in every way you can imagine, and prejudice in every way you can imagine. And men are not gonna fix it. But Jesus can fix it. One heart at a time. When everything goes bad in sickness and death, it goes bad. See, the problem is here. The mistake that many people make is to gauge God's goodness or lack thereof according to the conduct of man. Why did God allow that? How could a good God allow such a bad thing to happen? when in fact God had nothing to do with it, it's man. God is good. Romans 2.4 says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. God is so good that he'll lead people to repentance. It's the goodness of God that changes everything. It's not the madness of God or the badness of God. It's not the sadness of God. It's the goodness of a savior that would lay himself down with love in his eyes. God is so good. God's goodness goes beyond all limits. You know that God is good no matter what the circumstance, the situation, because circumstances do not dictate to God how he is, it does to us but not to God. He is the same, Jesus, yesterday. He is the same right now. And he will forever be the same. He's not changing. And that's why we trust him so perfectly. I don't know about you, but I think I have all my eggs in one basket. It's Jesus, period no second plan and I can trust him because he's good. God is good. Not only is God good, but God is for me. He's for me. Say those three words, God is for me. Four words, excuse me. Say it again, God is for me. Do you believe that God is for you? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, if God is for us, who's going to be against us? Who can possibly be against a person whose God is for them? Man, if God is on your side, what he's saying, it doesn't matter who's against you. It just doesn't matter if God is for me, who can be against me? And I know he's for me because he has a complete plan and purpose for our life. We know this, there's a purpose. If you are purposeless in your life right now, you need either to give Jesus a chance in your life or you need to get a revelation of what you have in Christ. Purposeless life. Man, he's loving us, unconditional love. My goodness, do you understand what that is? That says I love you no matter who you are. That says I love you no matter what you do. That does not say I'm pleased with you. He says I love you no matter what you do. The idea of I can just sin purposely and willingly and then just fall back on the love of God. You are on so thin of ice that I wouldn't even come within a mile of you. But when you seek God, you experience unconditional love. It changes everything about your life. He's investing in you. you. You wanna know if God is with you? He invested in you the blood of Jesus. God became a man and invested his life, his death, and his resurrection in you. I would say that he's got a lot in the game I would say that he's got a lot of skin in the game, like some of you say. I would say that we need to get with him because he paid the ultimate price. He's for us. I love to watch how God is for a people, especially underdogs. I love to see how God is for Israel. I love to look back in the past, how God was with Israel. Way back in the past, the Bible days. Back whenever, you know, they, were like, they had a gazillion warriors against them and, and they came out, you know, and with singers up front and then God took the singing and caused the enemy's minds to go crazy, they kill each other. I mean, that's my kind of God. I love to see in the 67 war where Egypt could have smashed Israel like a, like a, a roach on a kitchen floor and, and still God comes out there and, and goes, whoa, and bam, victory for Israel. I would say we should stay on the side of Israel. And I would say that uh, Israel is like a yellow jacket nest. You know, those big old wasp nest, wasps or red wafts, something, there's something. But I tell you, yellow jackets, you mess with them, bro. They're coming after you and they're going to get you. You can run and swat all you want all day. They are up in there and they're going to nail you, but good. And that's how Israel is. You'll pick up the newspaper one day and it'll say Israel bombs Iran. There won't be any foreknowledge or anything like that. It won't be, oh, we're we going to do, we're we going to do, and that's it. Because that's the way Israel is. And then God is for them, even if America is against them. There's something about it. Don't, don't, look, hey, just chill out. I'm not, I'm not a politician. I just say that uh, God is for Israel, and uh, I'm sticking close. third thing not only is God for me but God is with me Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says God says this to you never will I leave you never will I forsake you folks listen to me God has given a guarantee that he'll never leave you and this is the guarantee Jesus was forsaken so you could be forgiven. And Jesus was forsaken so that you never would be. I want you to get that. God is for you. You may not feel it right now. Your focus may be wrong you need to focus on your God, not your temporary circumstances. When all others leave you, God's not gonna leave you. Your spouse may divorce you, God will not leave you. Your parents may act a fool and get divorced. God's with you, young person. Doesn't matter what happens. The employers might kick you to the curb, God is for you. Society might say there's no chance for you, but God is for you. Everybody might be against you, but God is for you. And God is with you, not only just for you, he's not some far off person stepping between you and a bully. He's right there with you. As a matter of fact, when you believe he's in you, he's not on you. He's not just beside you, he's in you, he's with you. People will abuse you, people will misuse you, people will forsake you, people will be harmful at times and unfaithful at times, but God remains faithful. The book of Romans says, let God be the truth and every man be a liar, but God is for you. The I am with you's, I love them in scripture. Abraham, God said, do not fear for I am with you. He backed up Joshua. He said, the people will know that I am with you. He told the prophet Isaiah, fear not for I am with you. Jeremiah, he said, don't be afraid for I am with you. He told the prophet Haggai to the people, I am with you, says the Lord. Jesus said this, I am with you to the end of the earth. And Paul exhorts us all to say, God, I am with you. The I am with you's of the Bible are real and pertinent and present today. You've got to get this thing with God. You've got to get it. You've got to have it once and for all. You've got to master it. That God is good. That God is for me, not against me. And that God is with me. You must become a master of those three. Because those are the three areas that you're constantly under attack. God is not good because things are bad. God is not for me because so many things are against me. And God is not with me because I don't feel him. And the Bible speaks to that in Proverbs chapter 3, verse five. Trust in the Lord. That's exactly what they hollered to Jesus when he was on the cross. Trust in God. And here Proverbs speaks to us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust him with your heart, not your head. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That word means to know, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. even in a crooked generation, even in a crooked world, you can walk the straight and narrow If you do not lean on your own understanding and abilities and if you will trust God and if you will know him in all of your ways. The better I know God, the less I ask why. The better I know God, the more I ask what. When I ask why, I'm on the outside, and I'm saying, why, God? Why? But when I'm on the inside, I ask, what are we doing, God? Most folks ask, why, what are you doing? Why, why? Those who trust in God and lean not on their own understandings Ask, what are we doing, Lord? You're with me. You're for me. And you're good. So what are we doing? Not what is he doing? Or not like some young people who call their mother she or her. An outside, but inside. God, what are we doing? Because you've got something good in mind for me. This is the way to live, folks. Now, why did Jesus get forsaken? Why did God turn his back? One verse explains it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us or to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is the why. The why, why was Jesus forsaken? The why is because he had to pay for your sin. He became sin, he who knew no sin who had never been touched by sin, who had a perfect nature. He actually became sin. He became the adultery. He became the murder. He became the abuse. He became the sickness and the disease. And once he became that, God had to turn his back on Jesus. That's why. Because God cannot look on sin. The what is the righteousness of God. People can become the righteousness of God. And that is the good news. That you can be righteous in the eyes of God because of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's when God looks upon you. He looks through Jesus and it's the only way he can look upon sinful man. And if you say you don't have any sin, the Bible says you're a liar and the truth is is not in you, but when we humble ourselves and say, Lord Jesus, you died for me, and because you had to cry out, scream out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we with outstretched hands can say, oh God, oh God, thank you for receiving me. Let's bow our heads together right now for just one moment. Nobody looking around. Just focusing in on the idea that God is good. God is for you and God is with you. Some of you in really, really bad days according to what happens in this world and the Bible teaches us that God will be with us in trouble. But then there are some of you here who are outside the promise of God. You're just not in covenant with Him, which means that you simply have never truly ever surrendered your life completely to Jesus. I believe God has set you up and, and God has set this entire service just for you. Because what good is a person? who does not have a relationship with their God who created them. How can we be fulfilled? How can this life or the life to come ever be everything that it should be unless we surrender to our Creator? I wanna give you a chance to do that. I wanna pray for anybody who's willing, right where you are, just right there in your seat. If you'd say, Pastor Van, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. I want to fully surrender. I believe that he died on the cross for me. That my sin put him there. I believe that he loves me. Now, I do believe that and I want to commit my heart. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand up while every head is bowed and every eye is closed and you're in here and you say, right now, pastor, I, need Jesus. Thank you, ma'am, for raising your hand and saying, I need Jesus. Sir, over here to my left, to my left, thank you, sir. Over here to my right, yes, ma'am. This is such a serious time. Jesus did not die on a cross just to say, hey, I did it. He died on a cross so that he might take many, many people with him to a place we call heaven. Anybody else, you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm ready to commit myself fully to Jesus right now. No reservations. Anybody else, if you haven't raised your hand, shoot it up right now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, sir. Life may be real crummy right now as the world gauges things. But you who just raised your hand, you're getting ready to enter into eternal life. Let me help you pray right now. Now open up your heart right now to God. Father, I thank you for each one that raised their hand and I pray, Lord God, right now, that you touch them in a deep way. Father, forgive us of our sin. That's right, ask the Lord to forgive you right now, no matter how young or old you are, just ask the Lord say, Change me, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin right now. I repent of my sin. I'm turning away from this. And I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my life. I do right now, completely receive you. Come be my Lord and Savior. Come on, tell him that. Just, just, you're, you're just communicating with God. Be my Lord and my Savior. Change my life. Lord God, thank you for accepting me right now. Thank you for changing me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Northwood, let's thank the Lord again.
1: The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv slash connect and fill out the information, our lead pastor Van De Cody wants to send you a letter that tells you some steps to take in order to maintain your new relationship with God. We'll also give you some information about Northwood Church. We are one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach. If you live in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website northwood.tv/locations for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv/give. You can give a one-time donation or you can sign up for our online community called MyNC and set up a recurring gift. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.